Israel Week in Review with your host, Ben Ronsman. Today is Friday, June 11th. This program brings you a breakdown of the week's news from Israel. We go behind the headlines to offer listeners in-depth analysis and context to help you understand Israel and the broader Middle East. Israel Week in Review is brought to you by Origin Story Marketing. Search engine optimization is essential in today's business environment. To learn more about how Origin Story can help customers find your business, visit originstorymarketing.com. While the news in Israel can change in an instant, this week's news is particularly momentous. Israel has elected a new president in Isaac Herzog, who will be sworn in next month. But the major news story is what seems to be the formation of a new government, notably not headed by Benjamin Netanyahu. This government has signed a coalition agreement, and if everything goes according to plan, it will be sworn in on Sunday. Netanyahu has been Israel's longest-serving prime minister. He has held office for the last 12 years. He also held office for three years in the late 1990s. Even his enemies concede that Netanyahu is a man of prodigious intelligence and political talents. He's responsible for unprecedented diplomatic achievements, most notably the signing of the Abraham Accords. He also oversaw a world-leading COVID vaccination campaign. Israel may be the first country in the world to have moved beyond the pandemic, averaging only two new cases per day over the last two weeks. However, Netanyahu has been a highly controversial figure. His increasingly presidential style, occasional forays into demagoguery, and ongoing corruption trials have eroded his ability to form a coalition. He has turned critical allies into enemies over his long term as prime minister. But most critically, Israel has been unable to form a stable governing coalition over the last two years. There have been four incredibly close elections that each have fallen short of bringing together a Netanyahu-led coalition. But first, a few words about Israel's form of government. Many outside observers have been utterly confused by Israeli politics over the last two years. The lack of a coalition and numerous elections have raised many questions. A little explanation is in order. The Israeli government is a parliamentary democracy. Legislative power is vested in the Knesset, or parliament. The Knesset is composed of 120 members, or Chavrei Knesset. Israel has a very low voting threshold for entering the parliament. If a party is able to secure 3.25% of the vote, they will enter the legislature with four seats. Because of this, 13 different parties are represented in the current Knesset. The Prime Minister, Rosh Memshala, is the head of government and leader of a multi-party system. No Israeli political party has ever received a 61-seat majority, and thus governments have always been assembled by a coalition agreement between the parties. Knesset members are elected to five-year terms, but if coalition falters, a vote of no confidence may be called, triggering early elections. Executive power is vested in the cabinet, which is composed of ministers led by the prime minister. The prime minister and cabinet ministers come from the prime minister's party, as well as those parties bound up in a coalition agreement. The president is the head of state, similar in many regards to the Queen of England. Israeli presidents are expected to be apolitical unifying figures. The presidency is largely a ceremonial role that includes signing legislation passed by the Knesset, ceremonially appointing the prime minister, confirming international treaties, confirming the credentials of ambassadors, and the like. However, there is one official function of the presidency that may be especially relevant in today's Israel. The president is the only public official with the ability to pardon prisoners or commute sentences. With a number of Benjamin Netanyahu's corruption cases winding their way through Israeli courts, this power may become particularly relevant. Lastly, the judicial system is an independent branch of government and includes both the secular and religious court systems. The secular court system regulates most aspects of life in Israel, with the exception of some issues of family law, mostly marriages and divorce. To that end, 
rabbinical, sharia, and canonical courts of various Christian denominations conduct marriages and divorces that are then recognized by the civil authorities. Like every other nation in the Middle East, Israel does not have civil marriage. That being said, marriages between people of different religions and same-sex marriages conducted in other countries are recognized by the Israeli civil authorities as legal marriages. The Israeli court system consists of three tiers. These include magistrate courts, district courts, and the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is the highest court in Israel and has ultimate appellate jurisdiction. The court can rule on the legality of decisions made by state authorities, local and municipal authorities, and direct challenges to the constitutionality of laws enacted by the Knesset. Obviously, the details of these arrangements are complex. I am only giving a cursory overview here. The Israeli government, its basic laws and constitution may be the subject of future episodes. Now back to Israeli presidential elections. Isaac Yitzhak Herzog has been elected and will be sworn in next month to replace Reuven Rivlin, who is completing his seven-year term. But who is Isaac Herzog? Well, in a country famous for its informality and lack of decorum, Isaac Herzog, nicknamed Bougie, is something akin to Israeli royalty. Herzog's father was himself a former Israeli president, a noted representative to the United Nations, British intelligence officer during World War II, veteran of the Israeli Defense Forces, attaining the rank of Major General, and founder of one of Israel's largest law firms. His grandfather, Rabbi Yitzchak Halevi Herzog, was the first chief rabbi of Ireland, Ashkenazi chief rabbi of the British Mandate of Palestine, and first Ashkenazi chief rabbi of the State of Israel. Moreover, his uncle was the noted Israeli diplomat, politician, and scholar, Abba Evin. President Isaac Herzog recently completed a term as head of the Jewish Agency for Israel, a quasi-governmental organization tasked with Israeli outreach to global Jewry. Before that, he was head of Israel's Labor Party, the party of his father as well as many of the original founders of Israel, such as Ben-Gurion, Golda Meir, Shimon Peres, and Levi Eshkol. He also worked as an attorney at Herzog, Fox, and Naaman, the law firm founded by his father. Temperamentally, Herzog is known for his placid demeanor and penchant for negotiation and compromise. Despite his association with the Labor Party, he maintains close ties to the religious Zionist world. Most observers view his election as a consensus choice and someone with the ability to serve apolitically and diplomatically. In this era of contentious politics, it is widely expected that he will serve as a unifying figure. But the big story in Israeli politics is the announcement of a new coalition government headed by Naftali Bennett. This coalition government would notably unseat long-serving Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, whose right-wing coalition was unable to reach the 61-seat threshold in four elections over two years. The Change Coalition, as it is being dubbed, is composed of eight widely disparate political parties, ranging from the right-wing, center, left-wing, and notably for the first time, an Arab and Islamic party. They have announced a razor-thin 61-seat coalition. These parties have widely divergent political positions. Indeed, the main unifying position is an opposition to another Netanyahu government and resistance to sending the country to a destabilizing fifth election in two years. Let's take a look at some of the personalities, parties, and positions in the change block. Most of these political players and their respective parties are largely unknown outside of Israel. Let's begin with the man who is slated to become prime minister next week, Naftali Bennett of the Yamina party. Yamina, which means right in Hebrew, was founded by Naftali Bennett and Ayelet Shaked, who is slated to become the interior minister in the new government. Naftali Bennett was born in the northern coastal city of Haifa. He's the son of American immigrants from San Francisco. He grew up in a modern Orthodox family and entered the Israeli Defense Forces in 1990, where he served as a company commander in two elite special forces units. 
When he left the military, he co-founded and served as CEO of a software company named Sayota. This company was later sold for $145 million, making Naftali Bennett a multimillionaire at 33 years of age. After serving as CEO for another technology firm that was sold for $130 million, Bennett decided to begin a career in politics. He served as Benjamin Netanyahu's chief of staff and led his primary campaign for leadership of the Likud party. While working for Netanyahu, he met Ayelet Shaked, later co-founder of the Yamina party. Bennett later became director general of the Yesha Council. This organization is the umbrella body of Jewish communities in what is called Yehuda and Shomron, Judea and Samaria in English. Western media often refer to this territory as the West Bank. As the director general of the Yesha Council, Naftali Bennett shored up his right-wing bona fides. He's against the creation of a fully independent Palestinian state in the West Bank, preferring a demilitarized form of autonomy, perhaps in federation with Jordan and Egypt. Something he calls a state minus or autonomy plus. He advocates for economic development projects to help develop the Palestinian economy. Notably, he does not believe that the political problem with the Palestinians can be solved, but merely managed. Bennett believes that the creation of a second Palestinian state in Judea and Samaria, the first being in Gaza, would simply be used as a platform for attacking Israel with rockets and mortars, a situation he views as intolerable. He views the Israeli withdrawal from Gaza and the creation of a Hamas terror state there as merely a harbinger of what would happen if Israel withdrew from Judea and Samaria. Moreover, these territories occupy strategically high ground that overlook the coastal plain of Israel where most Israelis live. At its narrowest point, this coastal plain is 9.3 miles wide. Despite Naftali Bennett's unabashedly right-wing views and modern Orthodox observance, he has long sought to portray himself as broad-minded and palatable to secular voters. Indeed, the co-founder of his party, Ayelet Shaked, defines herself as secular, and the Yamina party is explicitly an alliance of modern Orthodox, national religious voters, as well as secular conservatives. It must be said that the ideological differences between Naftali Bennett and Benjamin Netanyahu are negligible. Rather, Bennett is part of a long line of formerly Likud politicians and allies who felt that their independence and popularity were punished by Netanyahu, who prefers to fill the ranks of the Likud party with less independent loyalists, those who we can more easily control. In fact, Avigdor Lieberman and Gidon Saar, who make up two other parties that are part of this coalition, are both former members of the Likud who have felt betrayed by Netanyahu. The Change Coalition has agreed that Naftali Bennett will serve as Prime Minister for the first two and a half years of the five-year term, followed by Yair Lapid, the leader of Yeshatid, for the remaining two and a half years. But who is Yair Lapid, and what does the Yeshatid party he heads stand for? The Yeshatid party is actually the largest party within the Change Coalition, receiving 17 seats as opposed to Yamina's seven seats. It is the second largest party in the Knesset, after Netanyahu's Likud party, which received 30 seats. Yair Lapid has been very flexible as the leader of the opposition, and his willingness to allow Naftali Bennett to serve as prime minister first is testament to this pragmatism. It is largely a reflection of the fact that right-wing parties significantly outnumber left-wing parties in the Knesset. His acquiescence here makes the coalition possible. Yair Lapid is a photogenic former television host who is the son of a journalist and politician, Yosef Tami Lapid. Tami Lapid was head of the Shinui or Change Party in Israel. This party held strong secularist politics and was highly critical of Israel's ultra-Orthodox community, which received significant state subsidies and are exempted from service in the military. While Yair Lapid's Yeshatid party is also secularist in orientation, he has attempted to operate with a bit more diplomacy than his father, who was widely reviled by the ultra-Orthodox or Haredi community. Despite these differences in approach and temperament, the ultra-Orthodox still associate Yair Lapid with his father. 
This is important because Benjamin Netanyahu has strategically built his right-wing coalition by not allowing any daylight between Likud and Israel's two ultra-Orthodox parties, Degla Torah and Shas. The Yeshatid party could best be described as centrist. Its voters are typically better educated and more affluent than the average Israeli. Its platform is similarly middle-class in orientation. There is an emphasis on domestic politics, education, housing, healthcare, infrastructure, etc. One of its main issues is to end the state subsidies for the ultra-Orthodox community, which allow large numbers of working-age men to stay out of the workforce and study Torah full-time. It also seeks to lessen the military burden on the middle class by drafting ultra-Orthodox Israelis to serve in the military. Currently, ultra-Orthodox men are able to avoid military service. The party also seeks to enhance the secular education standards in this community, particularly the study of English and mathematics. It's believed that competency in these disciplines will make integration into the workforce easier. Other issues, like defending the Supreme Court as a bulwark of democracy, anti-corruption efforts, and a commitment to the principle of two states for two peoples, are major platforms of the party. Another right-wing party in the coalition is Israel Beitenu, or Israel is our home. This party's voters are mostly composed of Russian-speaking immigrants from the former Soviet Union. It is headed by Avigdor Lieberman. Russian-Israeli voters tend to be ardent secularists who bristle at what they perceive as religious coercion. Despite their secular and somewhat socially liberal orientation, Yisrael Beitenu is considered hawkish on security matters. It is broadly supportive of a strong Israeli military and a security policy based on initiative and preemptive action. Nonetheless, this hawkishness is quite pragmatic and not ideological. There is a commitment to a comprehensive regional agreement and an exchange of land and populations if, and this is a big if, security guarantees are established. The Israel Beitenu party received seven seats in the elections. Interestingly, Avigdor Lieberman also once served as Director General of the Likud and Director General of the Prime Minister's Office during Benjamin Netanyahu's first stint as Prime Minister. Later, he served as head of Israel Beitenu, but ran a joint campaign with Netanyahu's Likud. Famously, Lieberman and Netanyahu had a dramatic falling out in 2018. The issues largely revolved around Lieberman being sidelined as defense minister by Netanyahu and Netanyahu's acquiescence to virtually all ultra-Orthodox demands. Yisrael Beitenu's departure from the coalition precipitated the last two years of political instability. Since that time, Avigdor Lieberman has been a harsh critic of Netanyahu, vowing to never join a coalition government with him again as long as Netanyahu included the ultra-Orthodox parties. New Hope, or Tikva Chadasha, is yet another party that is part of the change bloc. Like Bennett, Shaked, and Lieberman, its leader, Gidon Saar, is a former member of the Likud and Netanyahu ally that feels alienated and aggrieved by his former boss. Ultimately, this is one of the most notable takeaways from this election. Despite Netanyahu's accusations that the change coalition is leftist, a term of derision in his opinion, his likely removal from office is caused in large part by disgruntled right-wing voters frustrated with his increasingly presidential style, corruption charges, and ironclad control of the Likud party. Charismatic, independent Likud politicians have a tendency to be sidelined by Netanyahu. Gidon Saar's party is ideologically indistinguishable from the Likud. He was a popular Likud parliamentarian, who many saw as a possible Netanyahu successor. The party he founded is essentially a home for Likud members who are finished with Netanyahu. Six seats were awarded to New Hope. Blue and White, Kechol Velavan, is another centrist party that is part of the coalition. Its voters, like Yeshatid, are more educated, affluent, and secular than the Israeli average. In many regards, its platform is quite similar to that of Yair Lapid's Yeshatid. It is generally opposed to religious coercion, supports civil marriage, and is focused on middle-class bread-and-butter issues like healthcare, education, and the like. 
It is distinguished by having two former chiefs of staff of the Israeli military in top leadership posts, former generals Benny Gantz and Gabi Ashkenazi. Blue and White had joined together with Yeshatid at one time. However, at the outset of the COVID crisis, its leader, Benny Gantz, left Yeshatid and joined Netanyahu's coalition, where he was ostensibly awarded a second rotation as prime minister. In short order, Netanyahu reneged on his agreement, triggering new elections. Gantz has expressed remorse for joining with Netanyahu, telling the Israeli public that he did so only because he thought that the country needed stability to deal with the COVID pandemic. He has vowed to never trust Netanyahu again. Once again, a number of politicians and parties in Israel are former Netanyahu allies. They have just made the decision that it is no longer advantageous to partner with him anymore. In his most recent 12-year term and three earlier years, from 96 to 99, Netanyahu has burned a lot of bridges and made many political enemies. So Yamina, Yisrael Beitenu, and New Hope are full-fledged members of the Israeli right. Yeshatid and Blue and White can be characterized as centrist, with highly respectable security credentials. Between them, there are 45 votes. However, that doesn't get us to the magic number of 61. The remainder of the change coalition is composed of two left-wing parties and one Arab and Islamic party. Let's take a look at them. The Labour Party is one of the constituent parties of the change coalition. This party was at one time the most dominant party in Israeli politics. In fact, it was the party of Israel's founders and was in power from Israel's independence in 1948 until 1977 when the Menachem Begin and the Likud were elected for the first time. David Ben-Gurion, Golda Meir, Yitzhak Rabin, Shimon Peres, and Levi Eshkold were all laborites, and its social democratic vision formed Israel during its first 30 years. But today's labor party is not your father's labor party. After the disastrous collapse of the Oslo Accords and descent into the Second Intifada, Israeli voters could not disassociate this failure from the party most closely associated with it. The Israeli disenchantment with Oslo caused a significant collapse of the Israeli left. The party has been on a downward spiral since. Moreover, the social democratic ethos that guided Israel's founding generation is no longer in vogue. Israel, as the startup nation and economic liberalization, are far more popular today. Where do these voters go? While many of them moved over to Yeshatid and Blue and White, today's centrist parties are the home of broadly liberal, middle-class Israel. After a parade of different party leaders being replaced each time the party suffered an electoral loss, it was projected by many pollsters that Labour might not even reach the electoral threshold to enter the Knesset, a stunning decline from its one-time role as Israel's most dominant founding party. In January of 2021, a former journalist and left-wing opinion columnist named Merav Michaeli was elected party leader. Few seemed to believe that she could reverse the party's losses. That being said, she did organize a party on the verge of oblivion and led it into the Knesset with a better-than-expected showing. Miss Michaeli was an opinion journalist for Haaretz, a leftist Israeli newspaper that is widely viewed as out of touch with the mainstream, catering to cafe liberals in affluent neighborhoods of metropolitan Tel Aviv. Miss Michaeli has staked out a number of political positions that place her on the periphery of Israeli politics and almost ensure that Labour will not be able to recapture its former voters on her watch. She has a popular TED Talk in which she argues that marriage is an oppressive institution meant to control women. To that end, her and her partner are in a long-term relationship that they proudly refuse to term a marriage. Ms. Michaeli has also spoken about her proud insistence on not having children, once again for feminist reasons. Israel has the highest birth rate in the developed world. The rejection of procreation seems in some ways to be a rejection of certain elements of the Zionist ethos. Ms. Michaeli has also been known to refuse to use gendered language, attempting to use non-gendered grammar in many instances. The issue with this is that Hebrew, like most languages, is inherently gendered. 
It is baked into the grammar itself. It is probably impossible to render Hebrew gender neutral. Attempts to do so sound especially awkward and are subject to ridicule. Ms. Michaeli has agreed to become the Minister of Transportation in the new government. She has also expressed a willingness to forego her policy priorities in the new government in order to achieve the larger goal of removing Netanyahu from office. Labor received seven seats in the Knesset. Meretz is the other left-wing party in the coalition. Its positions are quite similar to those of today's Labor. It considers itself a social democratic party, has aligned itself with the Green Party internationally, argues strongly for a negotiated solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and is broadly supportive of LGBTQ rights. In fact, its party leader, Nitzan Horowitz, is an openly gay man who lives with his partner in Tel Aviv. There have been other openly gay parliamentarians in Israel, including in the current Likud party. Nonetheless, this is the first time that a political party is headed by an openly gay person. Meretz has the reputation, like its ideological ally Labour, of being home to limousine liberals, ostensible social democrats far removed from the trials and travails of Israel's working class. Meretz received six seats in the Knesset. Now, if one does the math, cumulatively these parties account for 58 seats, short of the 61 seats needed to form a government. To make matters worse, one Yamina parliamentarian has stated that he will not vote for the change coalition. He believes that Yamina is a right-wing party and that aligning with left-wing and Islamic parties are a betrayal of its principles. That means that the change bloc consists of 57 seats, actually too shy of Netanyahu's 59. This result has been repeated in election after election, hence the two-year stalemate. So what is the new variable that can tilt the balance in the change bloc's direction? The Islamic party, Ram, headed by Mansour Abbas, is a new variable that has changed the Israeli political scene. The Arab-Israeli political scene may need some explanation. Israel has five Arab parties that, until the previous election, formed a unified coalition called the Joint List. They have historically defined themselves as Palestinians with Israeli citizenship and have identified strongly with the Palestinian national movement. To that end, Arab parties have been quite hostile to Israel. Parliamentarians have previously been charged with security offenses. Ahmad Tibi of the Tal Party was known to be an important advisor to Fatah founder Yasser Arafat. Former Balad party head Azmi Bashara was convicted of passing intelligence to Hezbollah and fled to Qatar, where he currently lives. Khadash is actually the Israeli Communist Party, although its voters are almost exclusively from the Arab community. Lastly, Ram is an Islamic party closely aligned with the Southern Islamic movement. Its base of support is primarily in the Negev. Until the last election, there was an agreement that all the Arab parties would be unified in the joint list. Arab political parties have only occasionally supported the government from the outside. This was the case for the passage of the Oslo Accords. With Israel's precarious security situation continuously an issue, it was thought that relying on an Arab party to secure a coalition would be unsustainable. Most thought that the coalition would break apart in the event of violence, such as recently occurred in Gaza. Moreover, there has never been an Arab party that was itself willing to join an Israeli coalition for their own ideological reasons. This changed in the run-up to the most recent elections, and it is likely that the Abraham Accords were directly responsible for this turn of events. For the first time, Israelis, including Arab citizens, would be able to travel to many countries in the Arab world. It was now possible to take a vacation in the UAE. Moreover, many Israeli Arabs would be well-positioned to take advantage of Emirati development and tourism in Israel. While the rest of the Arab joint list held to the Palestinian position that expressed disapproval of normalization with countries in the Arab world, Ram wanted to benefit from it. They broke from the joint list of Arab parties and expressed willingness to partner with any coalition, whether led by Netanyahu or not. In fact, it was Benjamin Netanyahu who legitimized partnering with Ram. 
He clearly expressed an interest in partnering with the Islamic Party in order to form a governing coalition. This stamp of approval from the country's most dominant right-wing politico gave the Change Coalition the legitimacy to include Ram in its government. Ram expressed the desire to forego broader Israeli-Palestinian issues and deal with issues that were of importance to its community. This included the need for investment in infrastructure in Arab cities, towns, and neighborhoods. It also included calls for more law and order and an increased police presence in Arab communities. These communities had been experiencing increasing crime and lawlessness. Additionally, Ram sought the legalization of a number of Bedouin settlements in the Negev Desert and the building of infrastructure in these encampments, making these nomadic encampments recognized and permanent. Netanyahu had in principle agreed to all of these demands by Ram. However, he was unable to bring Ram into his coalition government because the religious Zionist party, an ultra-nationalist and even extremist party, refused to form a coalition government dependent on an Arab and Islamic party. The choice was between religious Zionists' six seats or Ram's four seats. Either way, without both parties, Netanyahu's coalition would never reach the threshold of 61. The previous week has seen desperate attempts to break up the change block by Netanyahu's block. Netanyahu has declared the coalition utterly illegitimate because the prime minister is coming from a party that only has seven seats in the Knesset. There has also been significant pressure exerted on Yamina's parliamentarians. Many right-wing Yamina voters are very hesitant to join a coalition including Meretz, Labour, and Ram. In fact, this pressure did produce a small victory of sorts. One Yamina parliamentarian has officially stated that he will vote against the coalition, giving it the slimmest of margins, 61. It seems that additional defections are not forthcoming, although this tactic will be used until the government is sworn in. Netanyahu has vowed to stay on as Likud leader and the head of the opposition. From that position, he will almost certainly seek to exacerbate tensions in the change coalition. If he is able to dislodge a mere two seats from the change coalition, the change government will fall. The question remains, will the change coalition be able to transcend the enormous ideological differences contained within it? Early polling indicates that a majority of Israelis prefer the change coalition to heading back to fifth elections. However, polling also indicates that most Israelis don't believe that the change coalition will be durable and able to govern for long. For their part, this coalition will require all parties to compromise a great deal. All parties will have to forego many of their signature programs and positions. There will be an emphasis on economic issues, education, transportation, infrastructure, governmental reform, etc. Will the Change Coalition be able to bring in other parties from the Netanyahu-led coalition? Or will the Change Coalition break apart, perhaps with a bit of pushing from Netanyahu? These questions remain unanswered for the time being. There is only one certainty. The Israeli political scene will be anything but boring. Never a dull moment in Israel. Stay tuned. This has been Ben Rotsman from Israel Week in Review. We go behind the scenes to provide you with insight and understanding of the news from Israel and the Middle East. Israel Week in Review has been brought to you through the generous support of Origin Story Marketing, helping your business find its customers through search engine optimization. For a complimentary consultation, visit originstorymarketing.com.